Hey, uh, welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, my name is Jack, one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to have you here. You're kind of jumping in with us if you're new into a series called The Good Life, looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is in the Old Testament. And so if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. We're going to be in chapter two. Uh, again, you can follow along in version. all the notes and all the, the scripture passages I'm going to look at tonight in the short time that we have uh, is in there. And then we're going to close tonight with communion. We usually kind of do some songs after that, but we're just going to close with communion and prayer and a couple quick announcements. And then we're going to go have a good time and celebrate about uh, six or seven baptisms tonight. We're super excited for that. And uh, yeah, you can clap for that. That's super good. Um, that's people who have, have come to a place where they've said, hey, I've trusted my life uh, to the leadership and to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and I'm going public with that to kind of make this declaration in front of all of us as church family. And so throughout the course of these next few minutes, if you have never done that and you feel like, hey, this is something I, I think I really want to do, uh, tonight might be your night, and we'll, we'll find you clothes, and we'll figure it out. Um, so we are really glad to have you jump in with us. And um, in my son's room, there is a bunch of these. Anyone know what this is? Yes. It's a trophy. It's a trophy. So this is a flag football trophy. Um, and this is the year 20, let's see, 2007. 2006 was a really good year. Uh, my son was on a team, and like trophies were a big deal to him. I don't know if you remember back when you were a kid, it were, trophies were a big deal, right? Raise your hand, big deal. Okay, big deal. Uh, and they were cool because uh, he's got a whole shelf of them up there. And, and it just, it's this sense of accomplishment. It's a sense of achievement. It's a sense like, hey, I matter because like, this happened. And in 2006, their team went undefeated in the, the AY, um, AYS uh, Sports League around Tucson. And they were super excited. They beat every team like Merce. I mean, it's just, it was ugly. Um, but they did really, really well. And then 2007 came, and that's what this trophy is for. And we had a different coach. And, you know, we, it, it didn't go the same. Um, it was a struggle early on in the season type thing, and um, just close losses, and then, like, one nail biter that was a loss, and then we kind of went through this season as a parents were just kind of watching, trying to figure out how to, how to do this, and then we get all the way to the end of the year, and we're at the pizza party, right? How many of you remember the end of the year pizza parties, okay? Pizza parties, kids love them, parents not so much, okay? It's just, it's just uh, I'm a parent, and they're not, uh, they're okay. Um, but really, you're just spending 50 bucks on tokens. That's kind of what's happening uh, in this. And so, just to forewarn you, save money now, because it gets more expensive. Uh, and so, they, they show up there, and we got the pizza party, and their coach gathers around. He's got this speech kind of thing. And then they pull out this box of trophies. And I'm like, we, 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 we didn't win a single game. Like... <laughs> You got a box of trophies, and, and the competitive person inside of me was like, you know, James Harrison, maybe you saw him in the studio, he's like, my kid's not getting a trophy, they went over. You know, just, it, you, and I just kind of wanted to walk up to the coach and be like, this is what's wrong with America. <laughs> the problem was, I was the coach, and uh, I was like, <laughs> 2006 was a great year, 2007 not so much. And I handed out those trophies, and I know people were looking at me, and I know people were saying stuff. I was saying stuff in the mirror to myself. But here's the deal. Pizza parties and trophies make sorrow much easier to swallow. That's the deal. And so trophies are something we aim our life at a lot. In fact, the seasons come, the seasons go, we age, we get older, and the trophies just take on a different look. They don't go on a shelf anymore, but it's still a pursuit of a trophy. It's the pursuit of the next 
promotion that I'm going to get. It's the pursuit of the next level of employment or maybe a better job than the job I have right now. It's a pursuit of the next car that will drive a little bit faster and be a little bit cooler and make people's heads turn a little bit faster than the one I currently have. And the trophies just change like sales prices and shapes, right? But it's still this pursuit of trophies. And here's what you have to understand in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 Solomon's kind of going into this. And now, if you don't know anything about Ecclesiastes, I'd love to encourage you maybe to watch the last two sermons online. You could do that uh, at our website. Um, Brandon did a great job last week. And, and if you're struggling with depression, don't read Ecclesiastes, okay? Ecclesiastes is one downer book. I'm just telling you, it's being real. But I think in a lot of ways, it speaks so frankly about life. It's kind of a, like a, a person that you trust kind of grabbing you by the shoulders and saying, look, and they're kind of in your face, but you recognize later it's for your good, and you're the benefactor from it, that's Ecclesiastes. And that's Solomon, and kind of toward the end of his, of his time, looking back at this great life experiment that he took in, said, hey, I'm not gonna deny myself any pleasure, and he pursues all these things, trying to find out what really is gonna bring the good life for me to experience under the sun. Under the sun is kind of the key phrase he uses so many times, and it's this life in a worldly sense. But we looked at the very first week that maybe that's not where life is really found. Maybe there's something above the sun. Maybe there's something where God would break into our existence and he would create and show and demonstrate a way that where we can actually experience the good life. Now you may be here and maybe you're coming back to church uh, for a while, someone invited you, you're like, hey, they're having jumping castles, come. That's awesome, glad you're here. And, and I hope that you would maybe just kind of hear these next few words as something that maybe gets you curious about this guy Jesus and about God and about this spiritual journey that the Bible talks about and maybe there's something here that's got meat to it. Maybe there's something here that actually can speak life into your existence and to how you navigate. And what Solomon is gonna say here is there's, there's so many things that he aimed his life at. Education, the next degree, and the next degree was gonna be the thing that made everything in life better. He aimed his life at all these pursuits. He built the, the temple, you know, seven years of just masterful craftsmanship going into this temple. It was just, it was eye-blowing. It was just mind-blowing what, how this thing looked. Seven years for God's temple. Here's the fascinating thing. 13 years on his own palace. Ooh. So God's house gets seven. My house gets 13. And you can see this pursuit beginning to kind of take Solomon some crazy different ways. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation. This is verse 18 through 23. Uh, he's gonna say this. I'm gonna to get to that next verse there. Uh, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. Anyone ever had a day like that at the office? <laughs> like, I just hate this. For I must leave to others everything I've earned. And who can tell whether my successors are going to be wise or foolish with what I leave them? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. Remember, that's the word he kind of has this phrase going through. It's just meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, and they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone else who hasn't worked for it at all. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Wow. That's quite the question, right? It, it, it will get more encouraging. But that's a question I think he wants us to, to sit with. What, what do we get from all this hard work 
and anxiety. So, preacher guy, are, like you saying the Bible says we shouldn't work and we should just coast and be couch potatoes? No, not at all. In fact, uh, I'm not bashing work at all. In fact, actually, you read through the scriptures and you begin to see that work is very much ingrained into who we are and, and how we've been created, fashioned in the image of God that we are to work. What's fascinating is we tend to, in America, say, hey, work is what makes the dream, right? And, and we gotta work really hard, but yet we hate work. And we live in this tension of that. I just was reading here in the International Labor Organization, Americans work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese workers, 260 more hours than British workers, and 499 more hours than those French. Insert your own joke there. Okay, so at 13 days, Americans take the least amount of vacations time annually of the countries in the industrialized world. The British take 28 days, Brazilians take 34, Italians take 42. How many of you wish you were Italian now? Yeah, you just eat their food. Um, but you know, work isn't the issue necessarily. In fact, in the very beginning, this is what uh, Timothy Keller writes about work, from the very beginning. The Bible begins talking about work as soon as it begins talking about anything else. In the beginning, God what? Created. God was at work. And he worked and he rested, but he works throughout this process. The author of the book of Genesis describes God's creation in the world as work. In fact, he depicts the magnificent project of cosmos invention within a regular work week of seven days, and he shows us human beings working in paradise. This view of work connected with a divine orderly creation and the human purpose is distinct among the world religions of our day. It's not that God's anti-work, it's fascinating to hear what happens, though. You look back in the Genesis account, and it's this beautiful expression of creativity and skill and purpose and significance, and then the fall happens, and everything gets messed up. And soon after, humanity begins searching for their very identity in what they produce, and therein lies the issue that Solomon is pointing out. When you work, and you look for your, your identity to be based on what you produce, you are settling to becoming something you were never created to be. You're machine-like, and you were never created. You were created with a, a, a sense of divine creation, and you were given an identity because of a relationship with your creator, not what you produced. You got to partner and what you got to do. And this is where things get really subtle and sideways really fast. When we in our humanity begin looking for our work, whether it's something you get paid to do or something you just have a hobby in doing, to be the producers of my identity. It's where I get my security. It's where I get who I am, securely known and other people see me. And when you get to that place and searching for that, Solomon's saying, you're gonna wind up empty every single time. And you're gonna wrestle with this anxiety that's a part of your life because you know you gotta leave it. You can't take it with you. And toil is what he talks about, this, this tension in toil and how it struggles. And hey, there's so much in us that wants to acquire these trophies, acquire these accomplishments, acquire these things and accomplish these so that we can look to people and say, look, here's my trophies. Do you see what I've done? Do you see what I've created? Do you see what I've attained? Look at me, look how important I am. And Solomon, of anybody who's ever walked the planet outside of Jesus, 
had every right to say that and have people look and ooh and ah. And what he discovers is that's not where it's at. Work might be a good thing, but then we're asking work to do something it was never created to do. We're asking a toilet to cook us toast. It was never created to do that. And the reality is you are a human being, not a human doing. And that may seem cheesy, but I think it gets the point across. That a sense of our being, a sense of who we are, that's what we have to begin to understand. And here's what Solomon gets to. As he drives a little bit further into this verse, he gets to verse um, 23, 22 here. He says, okay, what do people get for all the toil um, and for their fortune and anxiousness of this? All their days, their work is this struggle. And then he says, a person can do nothing better than eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil, in their own work. For without, and to see this from the hand of God, for without him, who can enjoy eating and find enjoyment in life? This is the first time in the book of Ecclesiastes here toward the end of chapter two that God's mentioned. It isn't in early. It's all life under the sun and how doom and gloom it really looks. And here, Solomon kind of gives us a clue. It's one of the first, like, six or seven times he's gonna have this little breakthrough moment for us to see, and he kind of ends Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 really driving this home. We'll get there eventually. But here's what he's driving home. He's saying, look, you, you gotta understand, this isn't eat, drink, and be merry. That's fatalism if you live that out. It will get you nowhere. I know some people who have tried it, and they wouldn't say that's the good life. They would say it was good for a moment but actually left them more empty, empty than anything else they pursued, just giving themselves away to, to pleasure or to something else, and it just became this addictive habit that ate them away on the inside. And what Solomon is driving home is he's wanting to see and to understand, hey, there's no, there's no amount of trophies that you can put in your trophy case that's really gonna give you a sense of identity and security and hope that you really long for. What you need to see is to see that every gift that you've been given in life is a gift from God. And enjoy that. Just soak that up. To, to, to live in this tension between what our world says, pursue trophies. That's where it's at. That's where the good life's at. And to actually trade in the trophy pursuit and put it down and to say, I'm gonna pursue presence. Not presence like the gift, but the presence of God in my life and the presence of those around me that God steers across my path. And I'm gonna find satisfaction and I'm gonna find the good life in just those relationships. And we know that intuitively. We know that relationships matter more than stuff. But yet, in our culture, we're continually pushed stuff, right? Buy this, get this, attain this, accomplish this. And once you get it, then it'll be the good life. Now, there's nothing wrong with pursuing some of those things. I'm not saying you shouldn't go back to school. I'm not saying that you shouldn't attain that new job or that new car. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if you're looking to those things to be the answer, then Solomon would say, you're actually just gonna wind up with more questions. And you're actually just gonna wind up with more hollowness in your heart. But if you will pursue the presence of God, and awaken yourself and attune yourself and align yourself to enjoy that 
and to enjoy his presence and to enjoy the presence of others that he's put around you, then you will begin to taste the good life. And that's what he's driving home. He's saying, look, there's something here that we have to get our arms around. Everything in our lives is a gift of grace from God. It did not have to come to me. It did not have to come to you. But it did. Work is just work. That's what it is. And it's okay to have work, and it's okay to work hard. You should. But it's just work. It's not gonna be the ultimate fulfiller of everything. God ultimately, through Jesus, invites us to join him in his eternal work that he's up to. And the work that he's doing out his story throughout history, saying, hey, I want you to give your lives to greater things. I want you to live your life for something greater. In fact, Paul writes about this. We looked at what Paul said last week. Paul's writing to an early church leader in Timothy, and he's writing to Timothy, and he says some incredible things. He says, look, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Contentment's hard to find in our culture. But godliness with contentment is your great gain. Remember, you brought nothing into this world and you will take nothing out of it. Everything that you have is a gift. Live with that mentality. Live with that vantage point. Live looking above the sun. Don't get stuck in this under the sun mentality that says you gotta pursue trophies because it doesn't matter how many you get and how many you get your arms around, they will not give you what you're really longing for. He goes on, he says, command those who are rich in this present world, it is rich, and and let's be honest, we are rich, we are. If you drove a car here, you are rich. If you stopped on the way to get a Starbucks, or you might on the way home, you're rich. We have to understand that, and I think in our culture we forget that. We think, well, we're not as rich. And the truth is, we are very, very blessed, even if we're living on the edge. We're incredibly rich compared to the rest of the world and to so many other people. So Paul's saying, look, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in where? In God, to put your hope in God, who richly provides you with everything for for your enjoyment. Do you ever think that was in the Bible? that God actually provides things for you for your enjoyment. God's not a meanie. He's not reluctant with his gifts. He's a good heavenly father who loves his children in good ways. Does that mean that you should pray for a Rolls Royce tomorrow? Great, donate it to the church, it's awesome. Uh, But, no, I'm joking, Uh, kind of. It means that I think as we live life, as we aim our lives in a direction, it really comes down to two ways that we could choose. I can either aim my life in the direction that the world says, you get more trophies, whatever that may look like for you. And as you get those trophies, then you can say to people, see my trophies? See how good I am? And what Solomon is saying is, sure, you can live that way. I've tried that. And it's hollow. But when you live this way with a heart of gratitude that just says, God, thanks. Thanks that you give me these gifts for my enjoyment. That I get to enjoy being a part of experiencing these experiences and to actually be able to do that with you and to be able to do that with the people around me. Help me to learn to be present. Help me to learn the gift of presence in life. 
I went to a conference um, four or five years ago, I think, now uh, called the Catalyst Conference, and the, the theme of it was Be Present. And uh, I got one of these little wristband things, and it just says Be Present. And so I put it back on this week, just thinking throughout my week. And here's what I discovered in my own life. I am so quick in the moments I'm in to want to be in the next moment. Do you ever struggle with that? I recognize that about myself. I'm so quick in the moment I'm in to want to be in the next one. Because there's something about this next one that I'm looking forward to or something I've just gotta get through. And so I live in this moment, but I'm really not in this moment. My mind is distracted to the next, or it's actually stuck in the past one. And I'm rattling around the conversation that was there, and I'm thinking, man, I should have said that, or I should have done that better, or I should have studied more for that, or I should have done, and, and, and have you ever found yourself living there? You're not here, but you're there. It's one or the other. And I think what Solomon is saying to us is learn the secret and the blessing of just being fully present, present with God in the moment you're in and present with those that God has brought around you. Maybe it's people that you're pouring your life into, investing in them, encouraging them in a time and a season where they need it. Maybe it's people who are pouring into you. Maybe it's friends, maybe it's acquaintances, whatever it may be. Friends, I think what Solomon's driving home is you can either aim your life at trying to gain more trophies or you can learn to aim your life with the beauty and the secret and the blessing of practicing presence. The presence of God and the presence of others. And not trying to get out of moments too quickly, not trying to move on through that. So this week the challenge is real simple. If you wanna write the word presence or present on your hand, if you wanna just carry a piece of paper that says be present, I challenge you to do what I did this last week, just do something that begins to retrain your brain to say I need to be in this moment. Not the last one, not the next one, but this one. This is where the presence of God can be. This is where I can be blessed and be a blessing to others with my presence and glean from their presence. I need to learn to be present. Here's what I wrote for kind of the bottom line. Life is much more about who loves us and who we love than what we know and what we do. Life is so much more about who we love and who loves us than anything I can know or anything that I can do. And we live in a culture that says, no more, do more. And the people that lose when you live with that aim is you and the people that you love and the people that love you. So this week, we actually get to practice this a little bit because we're ending church early. (gasps) We didn't really plan that, it just worked out, it was kinda cool. To practice presence, to just practice being around, be with, be present with people. Uh, We're gonna move to a time of communion. I'm gonna pray here in a second. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we kinda, we have four communion tables, there's two in the middle and two down here. There's a gluten-free bread if you need that uh, down here. And just invite you in this space to kinda take a moment, maybe just make this the next two, three minutes of just prayer, a, a space where you're not hustling around and thinking about the next thing that you're gonna do, but just space for you to connect with God, to say, God, would you help me to learn, to just practice your presence, to be aware 
of your activity in my life. I'm convinced God is so much more active in our lives than we recognize. And I think it's because we live in a blur and we live trying to get to number next so much that we miss what he's actually doing in the moment for you, with you, around you. And the beautiful thing is, again, God didn't send us a plan. He sent us a person. And the person of Jesus to be fully present with us, to walk, he moved into the neighborhood and said, hey, follow me. And for many of us, we've made that choice to say, Jesus, I trust in your life, your death, your resurrection, and I wanna follow you. And as we take communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's why we practice this. Every week we give you an opportunity to do it. You don't have to, but it's a moment for you just to kind of center yourself again to recognize that you're a follower of Jesus first and foremost, which means you've got to practice presence with him, awareness to him, and that you've been given a task and and a beautiful assignment to live as agents of God in this world, to be present. I'm convinced if the church would learn to practice its presence in the lives of the people you're actually interfacing with, I think people are so hungry for that because they hunger for that relationship, that connection. And this is the way we get to live it out. And so I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna take a moment to, communi- uh, to take communion and then I'm gonna close this in prayer. A couple quick announcements. We'll move on with the night. And so I just wanna give you some space. Two, three minutes, just with you and God. What do you whisper to your heart tonight? What did his Holy Spirit kind of whisper into your heart to say, hey, here's where I want you to take your next step this week? What does that look like? Are there some things that are going on in your life where you just want to take a moment to confess that? Is you just, hey, I want to realign my heart to be present with you, God. <laughs> You've been an accessory to my life, but I actually want you to be front and center. And so, Father, I pray in these next few moments as we take communion and we just create space for people to have conversations, to think, to reflect, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be a part of that reflection process as we remember the grace, undeserved mercy that you gave us in your son Jesus who you sent to be fully present that we would not miss your love that we'd see it on display in his life in his words in his death in his resurrection and in his invitation to live life with you through our putting our faith in him so would you move in these next few moments allow us to experience you Nudge our hearts where they need to go. We ask that in your precious name.